calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Awful dudes who would do something I call a roll and reveal, where you hook up with them, they roll over and go, hey, don't tell anyone. I don't want my fiance to find out I cheated on her. And I'm like, not again. And this kept happening like 10 times. Um, I don't know what's going on in your neck of the woods, uh, temperature-wise, basically, but here in New York City, it is getting warm, and when it gets warm, it means it gets, uh, the people are out, which I do love, but that's just kind of like a, just to let you know that you're gonna, you may hear the sounds of the city in the background in this episode, just because, you know, that is life, that is, that is, uh, living in a city, um, and it is, it's very hot, like, I'm sweating right now because I can't have any of the windows open, and it's it's warm y'all it's warm um and the sounds have been different today like at one point i was like i'm hearing the soft roar of a crowd and i don't know why um it's like 8 30 my time i'm like these sound like adults why is there a group of 20 to 30 adults i'm gauging ranging i don't know who knows what is she talking about i'm talking about this episode. This episode, you know, real quick, trigger warning, um, we do talk a little bit about uh, sexual assault. It's not the whole episode, it's just for like a couple minutes, but I do want you to know that it is there. Uh, you will have that in the episode. We talk about it a lot more. Um, y'all, this is one of my, you know, favorite type of episodes because I didn't know the guest before the pod, before the recording. Truly not until like about five minutes before we hit record. And those are my favorite because I just think it's something people that type of person who's like, you know what? Yeah. I don't know who the person I'm about to talk to, but we're going to talk about, you know, sex, dating, relationships, what have you. We're going to get to nitty gritty right, right out the gate, you know, straight, straight out the gate. I don't know that the, the thing, the saying with the horses, cause the derby was last weekend who won a horse. Anywho, but at the end of the day, we all won. Um, and I just, I just think that says a lot about someone that's just so cool and open about that. And this guest was all of that and more. Uh, this week I had Kat Alvarado on um, today. And real quick, I do want to say you should absolutely go get her 
album as soon as it comes out on May 26th called Off White. Uh, it's fucking hilarious. You're going to have a blast listening to it. And obviously after this episode, you're going to be like, yes, I must hear more from Kat. And you should also follow Kat at the Cat Alvarado spelled A-L-V-A-R-A-D-O and Kat spelled C-A-T like a cat. Why did I do that backwards? I don't know. I want to keep you on your toes. Okay. And then you can follow her on TikTok at Cat Alvarado Comedy on the TikToks. And I am disgusted that I said that out loud. That's something I say to Aaron to annoy him. But you know what? Now it's canon. I'm keeping it in the real. So now you know, sometimes when I'm trying to annoy my husband, I call TikToks the Tiki Talks. Like I have to go watch my Tiki Talks because um, he hates them because he is in his 40s and, uh, I don't know. He likes reels, y'all. Um, Aaron, I feel like I'm putting on your blast. I don't know. Anywho, like I said, this episode is great. We talk divorce. We talk religion. We talk, you know, fuck boys. We talk about a lot of stuff about growing, learning, healing. And I just, I think you can listen to this episode and learn a lot about us, but also, you know, learn a little about yourself too. And that's what's so great about episodes like this. And I can't wait to see you on the other side. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here uh, on this podcast. Like, it's so fun to meet new people and share things. Yeah, it's really always interesting. I'm always very um, excited for people I don't know because I feel like it says a lot about someone to be like, hey, yeah, I don't know you. I will 100% come on this podcast <laughs> and talk about some of the deepest, darkest things of my life. I'm not even darkest, just like the deepest, most intimate things about my life uh, to a stranger. And there's a lot of like freedom with that too, um, I think, which I think makes it really easy. But even like right before we started recording, you were like, I want to talk about this, this, and this. And I was like, down, done. <laughs> um which, yeah, and I mean, basically it was, to the listeners, it was about religion and, yeah, how much it can change and, and shape. And But so you were saying you're a Pentecostal Christian. What What is, I should know this, but what is like the Pentecostal part? Great question. Um, so, uh, by the way, do you do the, in, do you, are you going to intro me? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm so sorry. I intro and outro by okay. myself. Um, so I'll go all into you and like your, um, your upcoming album and like what's going on in your life before. I know I did not, I just went right into it. So <laughs> sorry about sure. that. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so your question was about Pentecostal. What is, so great question. What is Pentecostal Christianity. Um, so I think one big pitfall of the national conversation uh, about uh, about religion in general is that we tend to lump all Christianity and all Christians into this one bag. And usually it's a bad bag because the most vocal people are the most toxic. And we're like, uh. Um, but there's plenty of different kinds of toxicity in religion. And it's important to outline that. Um, I say that a little sarcastically. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but no, yeah, there's there's all sorts of kinds. I think there's like literally more than 5,000 different varieties of Christianity in America alone. Oh, wow. I don't think I knew that. I don't quote me on that. It might be 700. I'm bad with numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's still 700 is also way more too. I thought it was maybe like 12. No, it's like it's wild because they'll be like the National Assemblies of God and then like the nationally National Assemblies of Jesus Christ. And then it's like the Assembly of God. And all three of those are different and they all have slightly different interpretations of the Bible and they would kill each other if given a chance. <laughs> 
Oh my god! Oh yeah, it reminds me of this old like emo Phillips joke where he's he's like, I saw a horse standing on the side of the highway, and he starts talking to the horse, and the horse is like, Oh, what kind of? Or a man with a long face, I should say. Oh, and what kind of Christian are you? And he's like, Oh, I'm Northern Baptist. Oh, I'm Northern Baptist as well. What for what translation? This translation, that, and then they they're like, Oh, me too, me too. Until they finally meet one thing they disagree on, and then they're like, Die heretic. Um. I actually think the um, one of my podcast guests posted about that, like posted that joke a couple of weeks ago on Instagram because I was like, that sounds really familiar. And I'm pretty sure it was previous guest Ian Goldstein. It's a classic. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, this is a very long winded way into Pentecostalism. So <laughs> um, Pentecostalism is a variety of Christianity that believes in the gifts of the spirit. Um Gifts of this. Let's talk mm. about that. Okay, so we know about the Holy Trinity. To those who aren't Christian at all, uh, Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, right? We've all heard of mm -hmm. that probably at this point. So there's a lot of different interpretations of that Holy Ghost. It's so abstract. And uh, among Pentecostals, they're considered a charismatic variety of Christian. And they believe that the Holy Ghost can like reside in you and give you gifts um, like magic powers oh, wow. but depending on the variety of pentecostal those magic powers could be really cool like dream interpretation or being a prophet like having the gift of prophecy revelation um you can also have a lame gift like service meaning like you show up at church and you set up the chairs and that is a gift of the spirit too you know we need all kinds of kinds <laughs> um oh my god i'd be so pissed off if i got like i got chairs this week uh <laughs> You got premonition. I don't know if that was a gift. Right? Um, be like the wow. reject. You got fly. The reject charmed sister. <laughs> She's just like, I'm good at organizing the drawers <laughs> of the church kitchen. That's <laughs> um, so there's gifts of the spirit and some like really charismatic, like call them holy roller churches. Um you might see people speaking in tongues because tongues are a gift. Mm. Um, you might see people like passing out in the spirit um, or you just all, all sorts of really wild, interesting things, very lively. Um, and then there, there's varieties within that. And some are a little bit less wild and less wild. Like you get some really intense Pentecostal ones where everyone's speaking in tongues and then other ones where they're mm -hmm. like, it's not real tongues unless somebody translates it. And tongues is technically if you speak another language that you don't actually know, like you speak Korean. Mm -hmm. And then someone who's Korean can be like, oh, they actually said something and it's from God. Right. That's another variety of Pentecostal. Um, Whoa. Yeah. It's wild stuff. Very magical. Um, very cool. Yeah. And I, yeah, I kind of wasn't expecting it to be that magical. Like you said, like that seems very like anti-Christian of like very like no, no to witches type of deal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's why there are actually a lot of Christians in America who think Pentecostals are satanic. So look at that. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so you were born into this religion. Mm -mm. Like, so we were, we were. No. I was born Catholic. My dad and mom, both Catholic. Mm. Um, but uh, when my family went through a time of crisis, when I was around 15, my mom got kind mm -hmm. of pulled into this a very, very intense 
church is a Pentecostal church. It was Foursquare, which is a little bit less intense than the heavy ones, but it's really easy to get mm -hmm. sucked in when you're in a community of people and like you get invited to other churches and other revivals. And like, if you don't know, know the difference, which most people don't, you can easily then like hop from church to church until you find yourself in something really fundamentalist before you know it. And you said you were 15 when this kind of started mm -hmm. happening? I was 15. Uh, how, how was that? Because I feel like 15, you're old enough to kind of be like, to start calling bullshit on stuff or like being like, this seems weird or I don't know how I feel about this. I think I had kind of a reverse journey when it comes to religion because my dad was super cool and progressive. Like he's a lifelong Democrat. He served in the Peace Corps and believed in service. And um, he didn't take me to church very much growing up. Like he taught me mm -hmm. himself because he's like, there's a lot of shit out there. I just want you to be a good person. Like let's read Bible stories together and we'll discuss. Like it was probably if they're, if you are going to teach your kids religion, that's likely the best way <laughs> for you teach it yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then when my family went through this time of crisis, which is a, there was a, a, a really close relative of mine was going through uh, addiction and it was devastating for everyone. And um, mm -hmm. they, as immigrants, I think we're particularly vulnerable. I'm, I'm Hispanic, Nicaraguan. And I think we're particularly vulnerable to things like cults and, um, and other like controlling groups like that because it's very isolating to be an immigrant, especially if you're not from mm -hmm. a major group. Like I think if you are Mexican in a community with many Mexican people, you have that. You know, if like maybe in New York, there's a, a big Puerto Rican community, you have that. Uh, there's not a big Nicaraguan community. So it was like my mom, her sister, and then my dad is white and all his family was like not that friendly. So it was we were just a really isolated family. And my mom didn't have very many friends because she was embarrassed mm -hmm. of her accent. Um, so when we hit this time of crisis, um, we she, she didn't know where to turn for that support. And the church was there. Right. Here's this community, open arms, we're so ready. And How did your dad feel about it? I'm sorry, you were no, going to say something. That, I, you had asked about like – me not questioning it. Yeah. For me, I was just like isolated, weird kid. And finally I had like a youth group and a group of friends that came along with church. And I think it felt too good to find like finally having that community overrode just any kind of critical thinking or red flags or, Hey, wait, let's think about this. Um, but you're mm -hmm. asking, how did my dad feel about it? Um, yeah, but that's also like a really good point too. If you're feeling, you were just similar to your mom, where you're feeling very isolated, and all of a sudden here is this big group. Like, um, yeah, sorry, just to be like, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. But go on, go on. Um, yeah, no, it was it was so nice. They everybody was friendly and sweet and kind, and like those initial the first year or so of it was just like heaven on earth to have people inviting me over, calling me up, seeing how I'm doing, praying for me. Like oh, people are praying for me. That's awesome. Um, it's like, it's like, it's almost like love bombing, but I don't think that they're love bombing on purpose, but it, it, it's yeah. a similar effect. Yeah. I feel like it maybe not, doesn't have the same, um, I wanted to say energy, but that's not the right word. But like love bombing has a very specific motive. Yeah. So I don't think it has the same motive in that like they want to, but they kind of does, right? Because they want to kind of 
control how you're thinking and that makes that you are on the same page as them and that they're kind of always having the upper hand. Again, I'm coming from like, um, I'm projecting my background of religion. Um, so it could have been a completely different experience for you, but I think love bombing is actually like a really good way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think their individual intentions aren't bad, but mm-hmm. the effect is, is similar for sure. Um, yeah. My dad was not happy with it. He was um, – I remember one time he, like, went into youth group because he's like, I don't like that you're going to this this often. And he grabbed me by the ear and just, like, dragged me out. Oh, my God. So that's dramatic. Uh-huh. Like, that is, like, scarring as, like, a teenager. Like, I'd be like, I can't believe you did that, Dad. Like, oh, my God. Like, major fight, major, like, silent treatment after something like that. Oh, yeah, huge fights. But I was like, I'm going to church. And he's like, no, you're going to become a Republican. (laughs) (laughs) You're 16. He's like, I just, I don't want you voting for Bush. (laughs) Um, Oh, my gosh. That's so crazy. Well, because, like, the thing about, too, is, like, Catholicism is intense, too. Mm -hmm. So it's cool that he was very chill. But I could totally see someone being like, I don't want – you a part of anything else like this is the one that makes the most sense and then I can't even imagine like what kind of what kind of like stress that would put on the relationship between your parents on top of already going through like a very critical very high stress situation and then you're a teenager and so you're aware of everything and all you can kind of do is kind of take care of yourself at that point there's nothing to help the relationship. Again, I'm assuming a lot of things right no, now, but, but I just feel like that would be like a you're lot. You're assuming incorrectly because they did split up as a result of all of us. Oh, shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to – I didn't, didn't want to ask, but I was like, did they get through no. it? Okay. <laughs> they didn't. No, they did yeah, not. Yeah, 20-year marriage. Oh. Boom. Over. Oh, that's so crazy. That's so scary how quickly it can change, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, you apart from it. Yeah. Um, well, and it probably didn't help that she already felt isolated from his family. If the family is not being nice to her already, like there is, unfortunately, there's a lot of, um, bombs in the road already to like kind of fuck this up. Um, wow, that sucks. Um, I was going to ask you something and I completely forgot. We're getting deep here. We're getting deep right away. This is fun. <laughs> I, as what I never, anytime someone asks me how to explain the podcast, I'm like, I don't know. We're just going to go places that you were not expecting. Um, and this is what always happens, which is great. I'm so honored that anyone will ever do that with me, um, especially like a stranger. But um, is your mom still with that church? Is she still practice or believe? I'm not sure what the right term would be. Here's the crazy thing about my parents. So, um, my mom became super chill. Like after my dad left her, she kind of like reoriented herself and now she goes sometimes. So she kind of went back to who she was before all okay. of this. Um, my dad, so he split with her because she had become so evangelical. And then after mm-hmm. a few years, he remarried. Guess what? An evangelical woman in Texas. Oh my God. So totally a Republican. And he moved to be with her and he is happily with her now. And my mom basically remarried another version of my dad, a really chill Catholic guy. (laughs) That's amazing. That's hilarious. Well, it kind of (laughs) shows too that like, everyone always thinks divorce is bad, but divorce like isn't a bad thing. It sucks. There's a lot of like regrowing and restarting over and, and a lot of like, work but at the end of the day it's like 
actually a really good thing because then these two people can find something that it makes them much happier. And a lot of times it's finding themselves. And it kind of sounds like your mom found herself like after that of like, now the safety net is gone. I can now figure out like what's best for me. And I honestly cannot believe your dad ended up with like an evangelical I think, uh, woman. I think it speaks to people's compatibility and that sometimes it goes beyond like religion. Like religion, mm-hmm. even though it still means something to me, it's also mm-hmm. meaningless. I'm like such a nihilist that way. Like religion is sometimes, it's just like this set of symbols and stories and then we project our shit onto it and we kind of mm-hmm. take away what we want. So it was like when my parents were together and they were they were such a toxic combination, they were just projecting all of the worst onto the religion that they saw that the other person had. Because my mom, yeah. like she started hating Catholicism and would project that onto my dad. So they'd fight about that. And she'd be like, you guys worship saints and saints are of the devil. And he's like, you don't understand. Saints are just God's helpers. Okay. They're not demonic. Mm -hmm. Stop saying that about saints. (laughs) And then then, um, my dad would be like, well, you guys hate women. And (laughs) you you guys like evangelicals, they love money and corporate greed and you're not seeing the truth, you know. And we're just Mm -hmm. like bickering at each other. But really it was like, the talks they they just hated each other it wasn't even the mm-hmm. religion because now they are with those exact same people but somehow find a way to see the beauty in each other's beliefs but it it's like mm-hmm. that anger started more internally like, yeah and yeah isn't i i think just it's interesting to make sense of it i still am like wrapping my head around how to articulate it y- no, it actually, this is, I feel like going to be so silly, but um, I'm addicted to TikTok. <laughs> and right now my algorithm keeps showing me clips of, um, it's a Showtime, Showtime show called Couples Therapy. Uh-huh. And it just keeps showing me clips about it. And I still have yet to watch the show, um, but it like follows obviously couples and couples therapy. But it's exactly that. Like you're watching the clips and you see how much these people kind of can't stand each other and how in all these different ways in different like couples, how that's handled and how it's projected and how so much of it is like past trauma and how it's so much of like not um, communicating and just finding ways to like belittle and undermine one another because they're not willing to say kind of the truth of like what's really going on, which is like, I kind of don't like you. Mm-hmm. And you don't bring out the best in me. And I have not watched the show because I feel like it's just going to be a little too dark. Because when you see, there's something about watching couples fight or be that mean in such a like deliberate way that I can't handle. I can do 90 second clips of it on on like TikTok, but I can't watch. Do the you whole watch show. Succession? But oh my god, yes, I'm Are obsessed with Succession. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Okay. Spoiler. The last episode. Shiv and Tom finally say the truth to each other. Holy crap. Yes. Truly just gave me the chills just thinking (laughs) of that episode. And then the last scene when they're like, sorry, spoilers, if you haven't watched the last scene where they're each in their separate bedrooms and just so obviously just like, they're so upset, but they also feel, it also feels as if they're free. Like, in a, in a weird I way. I think it's like, so much about intimacy. Like, I'm just going to nerd out on psychology because I just like yeah. love people. That mm-hmm. when we are, I, 
I've been taking like all these acting classes at, at a Margie Haber studio and they always talk a lot about mask, like core and mask. So core is your real feelings. Your mask is how you hide them. And like a really good actor knows how to identify both of those and juggle them. And the beauty mm. of, of Shiv and Tom is that they're like such a perfect example of actors who can just perfectly play both core and mask. But what it also says about intimacy, I used to date a guy who worked at the same acting studio. Um, he's my coach, but like he was my coach after we dated and I took his class. Um, <laughs> when we were dating though, he would always call me out. He'd be like, you're, you're masking, stop masking. Like I want the intimacy from you. And then like when we would do it, he'd be like, you leave me. Like your, our sex isn't good because like he, it wasn't like it was good, but it wasn't like what it could be he goes, because you always mm -hmm. leave. Like, where do you leave to in your mind? Like, I don't know. I'm focusing on the dick. Okay. What? <laughs> yeah. That would also like kind of drive me crazy because yeah. <laughs> uh, for a woman to come, the amount of concentration you have to have on something is like, it's a lot. Like sometimes I have to have like a very specific scenario in my head happening to make it happen. And at first I was like, am I disassociating? And I was like, no, I'm just, this is what I'm doing to like get off. Like, so a part of me would be like, okay, go fuck yourself. We still had great sex. Like how, I mean, does that, why did the relationship end? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, um, he's okay. We had this fight. Mm -hmm. My hair was red. This is so silly. So I had my hair dyed red. And one time I came over after the gym, my hair was wet. I was laying on his white pillow and my red hair dye mm -hmm. got like a couple of little like stains, I think on his comforter. And he got mm -hmm. so mad and he like drags the comforter to the sink. And he's like, every time you come over, something goes wrong. And he's like, this is why we're not supposed to be together. And I was like, fine. And I'm like, what's your Venmo? And I sent him $200. I'm like, buy a new comforter. And I left. Um, Damn. <laughs> also, he's being so dramatic. Yeah. Like I have dyed my hair red for years and it washes out. It washes bleach. out. bleach. It was a white comforter. Yeah, just use bleach. Like it's so simple. And that I if like if I sweat at night, like it's going to like get on my pillowcases. But it like it just comes off like that. What a little what a little bit. He was really neurotic. Dramatic but bitch. an excellent acting coach. And like we kind of made up and became friends again. Um, he's he's actually a good guy, neurotic, but a good guy. And, um, <laughs> but he would call out me doing my core and my mask. And going back to Shiv and Tom, now I see it where like as they're more honest with each other, their sex life heats up. Like, I remember if you go back mm. to their wedding night, when they first go oh, into yeah. the room uh, and Shiv is, is she's in, she's masking her core, her, her true feelings. She's like, have you thought about us having an open relationship? Da, da, da. Cause she's hiding the fact that she cheated spoilers. Mm. Um, but not really. It's an old show. You should have caught up by now. No, That's it's on been, you. Yeah. That was like years ago. <laughs> that was, was that pre COVID? Pre -COVID. I think that episode it was, was pre COVID. Pre -COVID. Yeah. And, no, you had like three and years. And then she finally <laughs> tells Tom like, okay, this guy, Nate, and it's out. And once it's out, all, all of a sudden the fire comes and they hook up and it's like hot. And then Tom goes and he's like, Nate, get out of my wedding. Fuck my wife. And it's like, good for you, Tom. But you see that like once people have the truth, like they speak their truth to each other and then it catches fire. I got thumped last year no year before last and our sex life had been going down the drain because we were hiding our feelings from each other and after we had mm -hmm. our breakup conversation and we had the post breakup convo sex it was our best sex 
because we're finally honest. Amazing. That's so, it's so interesting to bring that up because I was thinking about the other day how I've never done post breakup sex. I, by the time I break up with someone, I'm like, I, you disgust me. I never want to be around you. But I know like everyone, like all my friends were like, yeah, yeah, you do. You just one more time. And I was like, I just never wanted to. I was like, I'm so fucking done with this person. Good for you. I feel like that's healthy. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, was I healthy in these relationships? I don't know. I actually, I'm, I'm married. I've been with him for eight years. And I think this podcast is a very big part of why I communicate very well, because you just learn so much and like learn different, like communication skills and styles and like what people need and are looking for. Um, like I do not think I was a healthy partner, um, in a lot of ways growing up in these, in these relationships, but maybe who knows, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like in, in my healing journey, like post-religion, it's, oh God, Mm -hmm. it, that's a whole other thing, but I only feel like just now 10 years after my marriage, by the way, I was married. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Um, only a decade later do I feel like I'm finally like having healthy relationships. It took that long. Mm-hmm. It sometimes really can. And I think that's what um it's not talked about enough because people will be like, oh, why aren't you why aren't you better? Why aren't you healed? And it's like, cause it takes, it's not linear. It takes different times for different people. Um, we don't know what happened or what needs to be like addressed for ourselves in like situations like that. So that, I mean, honestly, that makes Perfect sense to me. But of course, TikTok is like, did you do the work? I'm so much better now, blah, blah, blah. Or Instagram's like, everything's perfect. And it's like, that's really just not how it fucking works, you know? Part of that was COVID. So three years of just like a lot of like, whoa, like inner inner stuff, but also like isolating. So that can also slow down healing as well. No, I think COVID was great for me healing-wise. So, okay, let me tell you the rest of my story. In it, so I like that way yeah. you guys have some context. Um so we kind of talked about the religion stuff. So while I was in that, I was on the worship team for my church. I talked about that on my comedy mm-hmm. album. And um, and then I met this guy. He was the bassist. We ended up getting married at age 19. It was a toxic relationship. I mean, I'm talking emotionally abusive, controlling, mm-hmm. um, like the works, except for hitting. There was no hitting, but he put me into debt. He would threaten to kill himself if, or others if I ever left. He isolated mm-hmm. me. I mean, it's a bullet-pointed list, like, practically from, like, an emotional abuse website. Like, I remember looking at that after my after I left him and going, oh, my God. <laughs> Did they just describe you my like, marriage? Yeah. All of this. <laughs> um, so after that, that marriage, um, when I left – I immediately wanted to get married again because I still had all these religious ideas in my head that like fornication is bad and I need to like be covered by like the covenant of marriage so I don't go to hell if I have sex. Um, And then as I tried dating, I kept on finding myself in this toxic um, cycle of dating these guys who are in relationships, not on purpose, but like Mm -hmm. just attracting kind of predators, like just awful dudes who would do something I call a roll and reveal where you hook up with them. They roll over and go, Hey, don't tell anyone. I don't want my fiance to find out I cheated on her. Uh, and I'm like, again, and this oh, kept man. happening like 10 times. And I was like, this is a pattern. Like at number three, I was like, this is, is this a pattern? And by number six, I'm like, this is definitely a pattern. And at number <laughs> 10, I was like, I should seek help. 
this isn't right. Like, how am I like accidentally continuing to attract the exact same type of predator? Like, I'm not even talking about like of a wide variety. It's like, no, specifically cheaters. Um, mm. I kept on attracting, attracting, attracting. And during COVID, um, I finally had like good enough health insurance and I went to a therapist. I told him like, this is the problem and we need to fix it. And I'm going to come here twice a week until we do. And that's what we did. Oh my God. I'm, that's amazing. I'm happy to say like my most recent relationships in the last couple of years after that period of intense therapy are finally with like wonderful people who are just everything you could want. Like they are so nice, so kind, so respectful, but also masculine and fuck the shit out of me. Like everything you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Yay. good, honorable, like just, yeah, healthy, good things. <laughs> It's crazy what therapy can do, man. It's crazy. Uh, I was trying to explain therapy to someone the other day because it's like you you want all this stuff from it or you expect it to be like, oh, it's just this. But it's so – I say this all the time. It's like it's just so much work. It's so much like – I remember my first breakthrough and like it was horrible. Yeah. To like hit that breakthrough. Like I thought breakthroughs were good and I was like crying. I was like in the fetal position for days yes. of like realizing – what this thing that had happened had truly changed my personality and there's nothing you can do about it because that's what happened and this is who you are now like and then learning how to go from there and things like that like yeah Dude, oh my gosh if you're, that period like I'm 100% please go to therapy it's the best thing in the world sorry it's you were gonna intense, say something though it's like anything it's like if you're mm-hmm. training for a marathon like it's gonna take time because remember it was like in phases like first we talking about like little wounds and then finally like after mm-hmm. a few months she's like I noticed you fill your life up with a lot of stuff. How about you? It's the pandemic. Take advantage of not doing a lot for a while. See what happens. And what happened? Mm -hmm. I started crying every single day. She's like, yeah, you've been hiding all your trauma and running away from it. And now that you empty out your life, it's going to come up. And it came up and it was so much crying. And, Mm -hmm. but it was like, I got it out of me. Yeah. Like it's very unpleasant when it's happening. Just like divorce. It's very unpleasant unpleasant in the moment. It's very unpleasant when it's happening. But you're getting that stuff out. Um, it's even like when you do yoga and like all of a sudden you're crying and you don't know why. And it's like because you're releasing something mm-hmm. out of you that you didn't know was there. Um, it's very uncomfortable. It's very – it feels unfair. It feels like a waste. But it really is not. It's really – you're getting so much back, so much of yourself back with doing it and going through it. Yeah, because if you don't go through it, then you never are able to like unpack exactly what it is. And once you can articulate Mm -hmm. like what the wound is and why, like what is it you've been running away from, then somehow it loses its power and you can overcome it. It's, it it feels like magic. Like how, what, that, like you break the spell. If you Mm -hmm. could just fix this riddle that a troll under the bridge has for you. (laughs) Wow. Okay. And it's also a lot of like, you can't be scared. I mean, you can, you are scared, but you can't be scared of the other side. Like you can't be scared of like what will be on the other side of that bridge when you give that troll, like the riddle or the, or the toll. Um, Cause you don't know, but if you're not willing to at least try, you're all, like you said, you're just always stuck there. You're always, you never unpack, you never move forward. And I think that's what stops a lot of people is they are afraid of like, what is on the other side? What does that look like? 
Um, and then it does. It it seeps into everything. Yeah. It seeps into like your personal self, like your relationships. And it your, feels like what like everything works. What happens? Like, will the tears never go away? Will will there ever be a cloudy day again? Because for me, it was months. Like it started, mm-hmm. you know, around COVID, when COVID started, maybe like April, the tears began, and they went almost daily until I'm sure COVID didn't help. They went almost daily to like July. And they honestly didn't start until I went on an antidepressant, like full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Like it took everything. It mm-hmm. took actual like talk therapy and also like taking uh, an antidepressant for a time. I took it for maybe six months um, to help. Mm-hmm. And I the reason I went on it, aside from just being insufferably sad on a daily basis, um, was that uh, I, I read this book about the neuroscience of happiness. And it turns out like the more we do a certain emotion, uh, our brain is like a muscle. It gets stronger at that. Like if you only use, right, like your left leg for things, then it gets strong and you'll lean on that left leg, right? So your brain, mm-hmm. if it practices being sad, then you will be sad over and over. And that's what trauma does. Sometimes we think of psychological trauma as very like abstract, right? Like, oh, it's not real. It's not physical. But it actually is physical on a scientific level because our brain grooves become deeper in in that sadness zone and our brains start to default into sadness. So after I read that, I, I learned that the way to help to undo that literal physical damage to the brain is sometimes to get on an antidepressant for a time because it's like Mm -hmm. using crutches or a cast and allowing the brain to heal and those folds become shallow again until you know there comes a time where you're able to stop some people are never able to stop for whatever reason i'm not a med i you know full disclosure i am not an md um not Mm -hmm. doctor but for me at some point i was like i think i'm ready to stop and then I did. Mm-hmm. And luckily, like, all was well. Like, I somehow intuitively just knew, all right, we can stop the Wellbutrin and we're not going to cry every day. And I did it. And I was like, okay, my brain has healed through, yeah. through both the talk therapy and and the antidepressant. And then I was better. <laughs> it takes a village. It takes a village to be a person. And that could be having a therapist, that could be having like multiple doctors, that could be antidepressants, anti-anxieties. Yeah, I went through, um, I think it was like a year I was on, it was for anti-migraine, but it was an anti-anxiety and it was like a low dose. And I was also like severely, I wouldn't say severely, but depressed because I don't want to like throw that away around like all willy nilly, but I was depressed. I was not okay. And it was amazing. It was amazing to all of a sudden be able to sleep again and to not feel crazy. Um, I No, crazy is not the right word. I hated what my body felt like, like having anxiety. That's a very specific feeling to it. But yeah, being able to do that and get back to uh, a spot where I felt better. And the neurologist always wanted me to go off of it. She was like, no, like we're going to wean you off afterwards. And I was like, not ready. I was like, I don't want to. Um, And she was like, well, it's totally up to you. Uh, but whenever you want to have kids, that's when you have to like kind of stop or like wean yourself off. And, um, yeah, then like the migraine just kind of stopped and I was like, okay, let's just see what happens. Let me like not be afraid. Cause I, um, I have OCD. So once something works, I don't want to stop because I'm so afraid of going back to whatever it was. 
And so that's like a huge thing I have to deal with. Um, and it can even be like what I'm eating. I'm like, oh, this is making my stomach feel great. I'm going to eat this every day. And it's like, oh, you cannot do that. Like you have to let go. So that's something that I work on. But yeah, long story short, too long, didn't read, completely agree with everything that you're saying. Like everything helps, you know? It does. And I have to say, I feel so fortunate to like, like, so I, I got to acknowledge the privilege I have that I have health insurance. Mm-hmm. I have access to the proper medical care, um, talk therapy, all of those things. And not everybody does. So I feel very fortunate. Yeah. And it's like, it's why like universal healthcare really needs to be a thing. It would just, it just helps so much in so many different ways. Like not just like getting people like the help that they need, but also just like the strain it would take off of like um, other parts of like our society. And like literally like, I'm really going to say literally economics as if I know what I'm talking about, but the ripple effect that it would have uh, would be amazing, astronomical in an amazing way. Oh yeah. There is so much trauma, I think, in our country, just at a a political level. And it's like generational trauma that everybody projects onto everything else that nobody, Mm. that's why it's the whole political situation is like kind of useless. No one's talking about anything. One group has their head in the sand Mm -hmm. about climate change, honestly, about AI too. That scares the shit out of me. No one's talking about that. Not our politicians, at least, like we are, millennials and Gen Z, we're talking about it. I don't think Mm -hmm. anyone in Congress is talking about it. They're too busy talking about fuck knows what. Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're talking about stuff that isn't even real. Jewish space lasers. And I'm like, girl, (laughs) those aren't, like, what? (laughs) It's not a thing. AI is a thing. (laughs) this is the thing. It's taking people's jobs. Um, we're going through a writer strike. And I think, honestly, without the writer strike, I don't think it'd be um, as big of a deal or as much or people would understand how quickly it's changing, like, the work atmosphere already or taking away jobs. Um, but, yeah, no. it's Politics are dumb because they're just all saying the same thing. Um, so was it the divorce that kind of – made you want to step away from this religion for a second or was it later? Um, I would say it was the divorce. So I'll tell you exactly what happened. Um, so we, we had got, things had gotten like really intense towards the end of the marriage. Um, like he got more controlling, more religious. I think mm-hmm. subconsciously is probably scared of the fact that I was going to graduate from college and get a job soon. Um, mm-hmm. so he starts like not even letting me watch regular TV. It was like America's funniest home videos or no TV at all because everything is satanic music wise. It was oh either God. like classical music cause there's no words or Christian music and everything else is sinful. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 No wearing op- like shoulder, my shoulders could not show in public. My op- my toes could not show in public cause heaven forbid like this man was controlling every little thing of my life um Mm -hmm. and then I got this job uh, where I was working full-time as an intern at a bank because I have my uh, I graduated uh, with business um and business and economics so I was working at this bank as an intern and I started getting actually sexually harassed but um (laughs) but oh no um, but it get this is a good like the rare good sexual harassment story I don't know how to put it um our our he was a VP level person I don't want to say what um but mm-hmm. this VP would would like hit on me 
and he'd he'd flirt with Mm -hmm. me and call me a trophy and be like you're so beautiful and he'd like put notebooks on the far side of his office and make me lean over the table to pick them up um which was messed up especially because he was like Mm -hmm. married with kids and I was married and like dude what the hell but there was also a part of it that I couldn't control where my cheeks would get like flush and pink and like all of my molecules would like light up like oh my god this guy's paying attention to me and not gonna lie he's attractive like it's a grown man paying attention to me but it was like psychological torture because here I am I'm also like this really religious kid thinking like Mm -hmm. but it's a sin but he's married but I'm married and what am I gonna do and I can't believe God is letting this happen because I pray every day for all of my life God God, lead me not into temptation. And look what you have done is led me straight into the lion's den of temptation. Mm-hmm. And then this guy would ask me out to lunch and things. Like he was clearly trying to have an affair with his intern. Like, let's be mm-hmm. clear as day with, with what this picture was. And I did not want to have an affair with a married man. Um, and yet my body was betraying me as far as like being physically aroused by like a grown man calling me beautiful and Mm -hmm. I was just so torn and and that's what kind of led me to one get the divorce because it was like first of all if I'm not married to somebody who turns me on like this what am I doing like I should be Mm -hmm. married to someone who and two I don't want to be a bad sinful cheater um so it's better to just get the divorce and split up and figure things out to hurt my partner. Yeah. Um, sorry. I don't know if it's on my end. Choice. So sorry. You're cutting out a little bit. I might be my computer. Can I you think it me? might be on my end. I can hear you. Okay. Where did I cut out? Okay. Um, You're kind of just going in and out a little bit, but it's not too bad. Um, I just want to make sure I was getting everything they were saying. But now – because now you're, like, moving again. You were frozen for a second. Okay. Um, so I decided that I'll just take it again. <laughs> Hopefully we don't lose too much. Um, <clears throat> um, first, I, I realized, you know what, I want to be with somebody who makes me feel alive and wakes up my molecules the way this guy is. Like, you can't be married to somebody who doesn't make you feel beautiful and turn you on. Um so there was that. And then the other half was like, I also don't want to be a dishonest, bad person who has an affair and and hurts someone like that. It's better to do like the difficult thing and get the divorce and just be single until I feel like I'm ready to be married and, and find the person who I know I won't cheat on. Um, so I got divorced. They kicked me out of church for getting a divorce. I was just going to ask, what was the church's response? Uh, they said you. So you answered my question. They said you can't be on the worship team anymore, but you're free to still come to church. But he's going to be on the worship team. Like to be clear, I was like, oh, my abuser is on the worship team. Great. So, so they didn't like kick me out, kick me out. But as far as I'm concerned, they kicked me out. And see, that's a big part of the problem I have with religion. Is I mean, you see this in Catholicism, left and right, they protect the abusers left and right, no matter how much evidence they have. Um, and for me, that's a big, like, nah, like I gotta, I I respect what it means to people, the community it gives, but there's just, 
there's something like incestuous about it. There's something just um, incestuous, not the right, right word I want. Um, insidious? I don't know. It's, it's just, just messed up. There's it's messed dark up. about and, it. And yeah. yeah, I talked to the pastor's wife like in great detail about my sex life with my husband and how like, you know, trigger warning, maybe you could give it at the beginning of the episode for a sexual assault, but like there was definitely marital rape in my marriage where I did not want to mm -hmm. do it. And he would just like grab me and be like, we're going to do it now. And I was like, I guess so. Okay. And, but it hurt. Like there was no foreplay. There was nothing to speak mm -hmm. of. It was just like, all right, we're going to go out your coochie. Um, yeah, that hurts. It does. Like when it's, yeah, it, it was shitty. And I told the pastor's wife about it when I was explaining my decision to get a divorce. And she goes, yeah, that is marital rape. So she even, she acknowledged it. And yet her husband, the pastor, still made that choice to keep mm -hmm. him on the worship team. Um, what his justification was is that he needs it more than I do. Like, I'm already a good person. But he needs to be shepherded and mentored into being a better person. And what sucks about that is, in reality, all that pastor did was um, most likely cause another person in that, you know, church to be a victim of the same situation. Because most people uh, don't change, uh, especially when they are not forced to. And it does not sound like in any way, shape, or form did they, one, want to change, think there was anything wrong with what they were doing nor was there any actual guidance from this church about what uh, was not okay about what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, I'd like um, to think, you know, I checked out of of his story a long time ago, so I don't know where things went. But when I did leave, he was trying to change and be a better person. Okay. Okay. Um, so that to, to give credit where credit's due, but also, when I first started dating him, he was supposedly like going through a conversion and religious experience. So you really never know with people, like, are they pretending mm -hmm. or are they for real? And that's just the mystery of life. <laughs> yeah, that truly is the mystery of like any relationship. Is this real? Are they pretending? What's happening right now? And um, I also had an emotionally abusive ex, and I remember talking about it with my therapist years ago. After like I was already in like uh, dating my now husband, and I don't remember what made me think of him or like wondering what he was doing. And she was just kind of like, she was just like, "Look, as a therapist, most people don't want to change, and if they don't want to, they're not going to." So they say a lot of things like my ex definitely said things of like how they were going to change. And she was like, I, she was like, honestly, I would bet money that he has not changed, nor will he ever. Um, and so again, that's me projecting of like, yeah, most people don't do it because it's hard. It's icky and it's sticky. Like we like literally just talked about it. People don't want to do hard things. It literally like boils down to that. Yeah. People want the easiest solution and the people that don't, or they're the people that are willing to, you know, go through that. Are you know, I was gonna say the better people, but just like though they're more well rounded, they understand. They understand. I don't know. I, mean, I think I that's why I it. wouldn't recommend anybody get married as young as we were. We were nineteen years old. A lot of maturing happens between age nineteen mm -hmm. and like let's say age thirty. And for all we know, my ex could be a good person now. He could be a fantastic human being. I know he remarried and yeah. he has a child, and he's also like losing his hair maybe that humbled him that humbles <laughs> a lot of men um, um, but um 
Yeah. Like there's so much. So I don't recommend anybody get married. I would say under the age of 30, because that, that time, our twenties are when we do those journeys, we make our mistakes and then we go to therapy and we learn and we get better. And Mm -hmm. hopefully by age 30 something, most of us have like resolved some of those traumas and like learned to be like not selfish little pricks. Um, And then we can meet people who are like nice in our 30s. (laughs) We've all become better. (laughs) Yeah. Like I think if anyone is listening in their 20s, I really think your 20s, you should be really selfish. You should be really selfish and you just see the repercussions of your selfishness and what happens and when it's important to be selfish for yourself and when it's hurt other people and the difference to know when it's real, when it hurts someone and when it's not, when it's someone trying to take advantage of you. And like you said, make those mistakes and just be really messy and call out of work and quit jobs that you don't like. Um, And even in your thirties too, like if you still have it, you should see what that looks like. Cause I feel like a lot of my twenties, I feel like I was still trying to be like a very specific type of person. And I feel like I missed some of that Um, because I don't know, I think it's just really important to see firsthand what your actions look like to other people yeah, and, and like how it affects other people. And doubling down on that, I think it's really big to to play with being assertive, especially for women. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause sometimes we can lean so much into being nice. I'm like such a nice girl that we become doormats and we let other people completely mm-hmm. take advantage of us when maybe there were plenty of boundaries along the way that would have been totally acceptable to set and nobody would have been mad. Um, Mm-hmm. For for me, like one big change is like saying no to guys and not um, like guys wanting to sleep with me without promising a relationship. I remember I would always be like, well, then, OK, if I keep sleeping with this guy, eventually he's going to like catch feelings and then he's going to want to be with me and then I'll have a boyfriend. Yay. Um, and so I'd just be in a situationship, which I know like we've all been in the situationship. And we pretend like we're cool with it and cool with him not taking us on dates, cool with him not like giving us what we deserve. And um, when we're really not cool with it at all, but we're scared to be like, no, I want to be taken on a nice date. I want to be taken on several nice dates on a regular basis. Um, And if you don't do that, then you don't deserve sex. And that's me now. Me at at 32 is like, oh, no, that's the honey. No, like a, a, a nice dinner. That's the price of admission to even qualify for this pussy. Like, mm-hmm. and it is 100% okay to have that kind of a standard. And I don't think enough of us get, like let ourselves have that standard because guys will make it like guys who are out there, not all men, but will make us feel like we're asking for too much. Like we're high maintenance because we're asking to go on some fucking dates, like not even a lot. And I know the like the I can see the difference in myself because like there is this guy um this like last fall who I hooked up with him a little bit and he was this gorgeous he's a comic he's like six foot five like beautiful muscular man so talented I won't say his name but like great guy honestly hanging out with him was always super interesting and um and I was like I could see myself having a relationship with him if he wanted one. And so he's, he kept on pestering me about coming over for more sex, for more sex. And I said, and, and this is a guy, like, let me tell you, I feel like 
any woman would like kill to sleep with this man. Like he's beautiful. And I'm a very sexual person. So like old me would have continued hundred percent. And I was like, actually, um, how are you feeling about me? You know, would you be willing to take me on dates and like consider a relationship? And he said, no, I'm really focused on my work right now. And it's like, okay, then I'm not coming over. And he kept mm-hmm. on asking and he kept on messaging me, like hoping that like I would be horny one of these times. And I just mm-hmm. held the line. I was like, no, because I think you're great. I'm going to catch feelings. I don't feel like nursing a broken heart. So if you're not willing to walk down that path, then I don't want to have sex. And just putting my standards first. And what happened was eventually I met someone else who was also awesome and handsome and everything I could ever ask for. And he was willing to take me on those dates and treat me the way I want and meet that standard and then go well beyond that. And I'm so, so happy. Um, And I'm in this really healthy, happy relationship with a gorgeous guy, not to sound superficial, but like, hey, I like him. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I could have settled for less, but because I didn't and I just held fast to the standards, someone came that was better. So ladies out there, like say no to the situationship. Do not waste your time. You want to be available when the right guy comes. Yeah. Don't settle. I, I scream that I, with like anyone that I can, um, like, don't like, there's something else out there. Cause there is, I don't know where this mentality came from, where, uh, there are a lot of dudes out there that are like, you can't do better than me. And it's like, but you're offering literally nothing. Like there's, you're offering nothing to the table, to this, whatever situationship this is besides sex. And most people do want more and that's okay. And then a lot of people will act like, well, that's crazy that you want more. And it's like, no, it's crazy that I've now set my boundary and you keep pestering me after I've said repeatedly, because you're hoping to break me down and like, fuck me one more time. Like, do you hear it? Like when I repeat it back to you, how psychotic that is, um, go masturbate or find someone else who just wants to fuck. Cause like, that's not me. Oh my gosh. It's so true. So true. Um, like I, Oh, um, sorry, brain, my brain just like stopped for a second. No, no. Take your time. Um, I, uh, 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 sorry. It's just like, I got like, I saw a work chat pop in and my brain just like left for two seconds. Mm. No, you're good. Um, It happens to me all the time. Don't worry. I, I think sometimes what happens too is we'll end up in a in the wrong social circle where everybody's mm. broken. And as a comedian, that has happened where like there have been times where it, it almost gets normalized for guys to just mm-hmm. be like, yeah, we don't want relationships. You want a relationship. You're the weird one. I'm the one who's mm-hmm. normal. High five, guys. We're all still single we've escaped the shitty women in the world and I'm like okay bro number one it sounds like you just don't like women like this isn't about you being single this is about you have some issues that you need to heal first buddy because um, I think we have a lot to offer as like I feel like a lot of women not to be like too heteronormative but I feel like we're generally great listeners we're really nurturing we often have a lot of healing energy lot not to mention companionship warmth like women and female identifying people are just so full of like healing. I think that's what like feminine energy has a lot of. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and 
we have so much to bring to the table, like so many hugs and like, we're great. We're full of love. And for them to just be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, there's nothing of value from, from you guys, except for the pleasure that you can give us with your bodies is like so one dimensional and so sad for them that they don't see everything that they're missing out of that like women can bring to someone's life. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, you definitely hit, you hit it when you said, um, some of these groups are so toxic. Like I, I'm also a comedian. So the first, like my twenties is just fucking ridiculously misogynistic comedians and improvisers, which are just the bottom of the barrel. And it is, it's like, Oh babe, you've got so much trauma and work you need to do because you do hate women. Um, and yeah, it's, we do offer a lot and there is so much to, I don't know if you experience this, but there's so much intimidation. So it's a way for them to like, keep us down us like general, like just like female comedians, because, um, they don't want us to do better. Than it them. keeps us from asking like when, for more because they act like we're acting entitled for even wanting companionship and a relationship. Like, wow, you're asking for so much um, when for healthy men, they're like, oh, I would love a relationship. Like that just sounds like a lovely thing. Someone to hang out with all the time and like eat sandwiches on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Like that's a healthy person. <laughs> Whereas like, yeah. Or it'd even be like, oh, go on. like versus like a broken person. Like last night I was at this open mic, um, working on some new material and there was this old guy, like 58, um, which I guess mm. like maybe that's not too old, but it's, it's pretty old. And he's like, I've never been married. I got off scotch free. And then he takes like a swig of some Jack Daniels and then tells some lame jokes. And then he's like, yeah, I'm such a badass. Like, I, woman didn't catch me. And I'm like, yeah, but look at you. Look at you. You're 58 on a Thursday night in an open mic. And how long have you been doing comedy? Like, not to shame this poor open micer, but like, buddy, your life sucks. Like if you're 58 in this open mic and you're not, and he's not a headliner and he's not good at comedy. And it, like, I'm like, why is he wasting his time? And it's because he has nobody who like loves him at home. Like he's proudly single. And it's like, all you have is hedonism and nothing else to show for it. And also dude, learn how to write a joke. Like that's not a joke. I, one of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm around comedians and all they do is just talk into the mic, which is – that is an open mic. But I'm like, write a joke, man. Just talking into a microphone does not make you a comedian. Like, <laughs> hate to burst your bubble, but you're not even a comedian. You're just like a 58-year-old single man. Yeah. Like, that's not a Celebrating joke. Celebrating his sad, sad old life all because he hates women yeah. and is refusing to address his trauma in any kind of way or like – become more healed and just find happy companions. Like, I feel bad for that, but that's ultimately like if the guys, if these like misogynistic men don't heal ever, that's their destiny is to just be an old lonely guy getting drunk on a Thursday with open mic comedians. Like how sad. Like <laughs> It's one thing when yeah, you're 32 I'm and you're at an open mic because you still have hopes for your future, but <laughs> And if anyone who's listening has never been to an open mic, it is nothing but dudes, um, usually doing a lot of racist and rapey jokes. Um, like, I don't even do open mics anymore. I stopped years ago because I was like, I'm not really getting anything out of this. I'd rather write a, a brand new set and then bomb in front of an actual crowd than whatever this is. 
Um, it is one of the saddest places. There's usually never any girls. If there are, there's one or two. Um, it's not a good time. I mean, this at least for me, my experience in New York City, um, I never had a good time. I feel like every scene has its own little quirks. Here in LA, we've we've talked about how like the scene post-COVID has gotten a lot better. Um, oh, yay. Yeah, and so I don't necessarily want to trash Joe Rogan because he's someone – who I'm told I should not trash publicly, so I will not um, <laughs> because he is powerful. Can't wait to see where this is um, going. But I will say that sometimes his fans, especially those who are comedians, can be not the best people. And that mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. he moved to Austin, he took all of those comedians with him. They moved. Oh, and ever since they left, what remained are comedians who know how to write jokes. Like they might not be good jokes. Like these these fellas are still like working it out and figuring it out. But the Rogan crew was like people with some sort of undiagnosed mental illness and a lot of delusion that one day Rogan will just see them and will make them famous. So they never learned to write a joke. They just like barf misogyny on stage and think that that is comedy. They left. Yeah, they all left. They're in, They're in Austin now. And I'm like, take them. Yeah. Yeah. Let that scene deal with them. We don't want them here in LA. Like keep them, keep all of them. Uh-huh. And now we've got storytellers and people with like slightly like with a take on things. I'm just like, oh, I love watching my scene grow. Yeah. And let's kick out everyone oh, we don't awesome. like. We'll send them to Austin. Just send them to Austin. Yeah. That's so awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, Cause yeah, you just, you want people like actually trying and there's a huge difference. You can, and you can see it immediately, even if you're like not a comedian or like a performer, there's, you can feel it immediately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there are some people who can oh. get away with just like saying some talk shit, toxic shit on stage mm-hmm. because they've been doing comedy like 20 years and they found a way to say it in a way that gets people to laugh. But it's like, if you're not that person, then you're just being an asshole on a mic. Get away. Like, just go, mm-hmm. leave, quit. Just quit. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that's why, disclaimer, I always tell people never date a comedian um, unless you know they are in therapy. If they're in there, and that's for men and women. Like, when I was not in therapy, I was a mess. Um, make sure they're in therapy. Just make sure. Make sure they're in therapy. And, and I think you can tell a lot from the type of comedian. Like, is their comedy actually reflective of some sort of like self reflection and wisdom? Like, if there's like a, some wisdom and depth to it, that might be an okay mm-hmm. person to date. If it's like a lot of stuff that's super surface level and they have misogynistic jokes and it's like a little bit anti-women. Like the second you hear an anti-woman joke from a man on stage, run. Run away. Yeah. Because that's the tip of run the Run away because it's real. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Story about that. And I actually have a story about this like cheater in in my on my album. But there is this comic I was seeing for like six months. And um, then I come to find out that he not only was he cheating on me with another girl but also he was dating that girl for 8 years and <laughs> and also there was a third girl who was his side chick for 2 years um so and he was lying about like just all of this complete lot of misrepresentation like the long term girlfriend was the roommate according like that's what he told me and i was like dumb enough to believe it um uh-huh. and and yeah, I, I didn't know anything about the side chick until I found out about the side chick from the side chick who told me. Um, 
It was nonsense. But <gasps> fast forward after all of this goes down, I end things like this just blows up. Um, I'm telling my story about him on stage. He hears it. So he starts telling our story on stage from his perspective, not knowing that he sounds like oh a gosh. fucking tool. And um, mm-hmm. and I heard it like we were on a show and then like we we weren't quite back to back, but we both did sets about each other on the same show. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Right. And then I was talking to some audience members afterwards and um, and I'm like, yeah, like actually like that guy was the guy. And they're like, ew, you dated him? He sounds like such an ass. I'm like, oh, does he? Well, that's good to know. You, people know when someone's an asshole. And and the truth is, like, mm. a lot of times if a guy has asshole stories on stage, he probably is an asshole. Because he did. Mm-hmm. He had other bits that I didn't, like, I thought that they were just jokes when I heard him do them mm. before we had all our drama. Kind of, mm. like, not sit right with me, but I'm like, but you know what? He's just like really creative and he's just saying that because it's funny and it works on stage. Like, I doubt that that's real. And, and then it was. it was. Now that I know, like oh. now that we had, like he had one where he's like my side chick that was in this sentence, the side chick is referring to me. So my side chick asked like if I love her and I was like, girl, you're just a pack of swishers. I'm just like, your house is just 7-Eleven. I'm just picking up swishers. The gas is still on in my car. Like, I don't love you. Oh my God, this man, he's the worst. Also, I hope that side chick finally she did. Like, oh my she God. Did. Oh, because okay. she thought that she was the only one. And um, as I say on my album, side chicks are like French fries. There's never just one. Like, <laughs> They're in packs. And see, that's a better joke than what he wrote about 7-Eleven. Damn straight. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was he, poor that poor side chick. And, like, we leaned on each other, which is, like, women supporting women. We were like, you know who's the loser? Mm-hmm. And, like, let's not compete over this man. The loser is whoever keeps him. That's who loses. Mm-hmm. And, like, she would call me on the phone crying about him and, like, I want to punch him in the face. I just wish I could take a hammer to all of his teeth and bash them all in. I'm like. First of all, don't go committing crimes. He is not worth it, girl. <laughs> like, let's take a deep breath. <laughs> um, poor thing. But um, yeah, eventually, like, she healed, and we don't talk anymore. And like, a part of me like kind of misses her friendship, but I also it's like blossom, little butterfly. Like, live your life mm-hmm. because I'm a reminder of him. So I understand. Like, I'm connected to that trauma. So for her, best to move on. Like, we also have to let each other go. As- as friends and that's okay yeah but it was a beautiful that part of the story is beautiful I think yeah and it's very mature of you as well like in every part of that to be there for her and then to know that like yeah in the end you guys have to kind of walk away from each other to both grow Mm -hmm. um and I mean we had we had to it it was selfish being friends with each other was it was for survival as much like Mm -hmm. I let's not give me too much credit here. Like I needed to stay in touch with her because it helped to remind me every day what a piece of shit he is. Um, Mm -hmm. Because we would talk and like, it was so painful because it was like stabbing each other on purpose to remind ourselves how much he sucks. Cause we would talk about Mm -hmm. like the sexual things that he did with each of us because it Mm -hmm. hurt. Okay. Like to kind of like traumatizing each other more. (laughs) <laughs> in the process of yeah. our friendship. But 
in order to be grounded in the truth and not give ourselves the delusion that this guy was good at any point. He was a, tr like, he was so different to her versus me. Like, with her, he was like Mr. BDSM. Like, like you know, slapping, oh, punching, okay. come in the face, like, dragging was her by the Was it consensual? There were elements that maybe weren't. Um, like, Ooh, dragging her okay. across the room by the hair was not not consensual she described also like an anal situation where like he asked about it and she's like we can do that sometime and then he just did it which is like oh my god question mark ah. i don't think so um it was yeah, like that doesn't feel that's too murky mm -mm. that's too very gray. gray if it's gray it's not consensual exactly enthusiastic consent is the standard and um and uh on my end because he kind of knew like how I wanted to be treated, he fully indulged my fantasy of like treating me like a princess and being like, mm -hmm. you're so amazing. And, and if I want to do anything kinky, it was like, oh my God, are you sure? Okay. I've never done that before. Like, wow. Act, what a little pathological liar. Yes, he would act like he was like so innocent and that I was this sex bomb goddess who was showing him new things when in reality, like he was doing literally everything and way, way worse. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of pathological liars, the craziest lie he told, he pretended to play 10 musical instruments. Um, and I found out that that was a lie because we were working on a musical sketch together and I have a music background. And so I was talking about the, the uh -huh. key that it's in. And I was like, I think we need to go from like an F to maybe like an A and that maybe that would be better. Um, and he goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, you can't play any instruments and not know the names of the letters on the musical staff or like the acronyms yeah. of space and every good boy does fine. I mean, that's like week one music theory uh-huh he didn't how did he get out how did he try to get out of that lie i'm or did i was he? too dumb to register that like it like it was too mm. surreal for me in the moment to call it out i was just like mm -hmm. huh and it wasn't until he left i was like wait let's process oh my god he was lying like it when that kind of a bold-faced lie is right in your face, it's hard to call out until you have, like, a moment. Because you you just cannot immediately register what, like, that someone would lie that, that boldly about something that small. Yeah. And, and then to not think they're not going to get caught, especially, like, once you said that you were, like, we were doing, like, you know a musical sketch like a music like I'd be like shaking I'd be so afraid to get caught which is that's what makes this person like probably like a sociopath or a psychopath like he didn't fucking care but like a normal person is like oh no 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 like I can't ever be caught like I if I if it were me I'd be like yeah yeah that totally makes sense yeah, you'd be more absolutely like if if you, if you got yeah. caught you'd be like oh wow oh shit like oh man like I I would be just devastated if I got caught in a lie like that. I like crawl under a rock. Um, yeah, no, yeah. that guy was something else. Okay, and funny story. This one goes out to all the male listeners out there who have female friends. Um, <laughs> I told my buddy Kevin about this 
comic and everything that had happened, Kevin's like, oh, well, yeah, that sucks. Fast forward. He is doing a show for his girlfriend. His girlfriend asked for him to produce a comedy show for her. She's like somehow comedy adjacent who who knows. Um, he goes, okay. And he decides to book my ex on the show because my ex has a mm. reputation for being funny and kind of like a wild character. And the girlfriend was a wild character. And so he's like, yeah, I want to book like wild people, a.k.a. people who do coke. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and – um. My ex ends up stealing his girlfriend. Oh, my God. Because he was a wild and crazy uh-huh, guy. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And with no qualms and who doesn't give a shit about anybody else but himself. So, fellas out there, when your female friends call out a man for being a piece of shit, you are not immune to that man's shit. Don't do business with that man he's going to steal your money like if a guy is a bad person to women he's probably also a bad person to men because that is a bad person with no morals who doesn't give a shit about anyone but themselves and that is not exclusive to just women so don't have this illusion that like oh but he's fun to drink he's my drinking buddy like he's fine no he's gonna scam you and it's gonna come back to bite you in the ass if you keep that guy as your friend Cut him off. Mm-hmm. Cut him off. Yeah. For yourself. Yeah, anyone like that. Do it for yourself. Like, not for your fe- – like, if you're not going to cut them off for your female friends, do it out of self-protection. Yeah. Lost his girlfriend. Damn. Took his girlfriend. Yeah. Wow. He took That's the girlfriend to crazy. Greece for a fuck fest. <laughs> for a – yeah. And I was like, Kevin, let me be honest with you. Make no illusions. That man has a big dick. Your girlfriend is gone. Get over her. She's gone. (laughs) She never wants to see your penis again, Kevin. I'm so sorry. Also, she has herpes now. Not to herpes shame, but I'm like, she probably does. Let's be real. That guy fucks everyone. um, If not herpes, HPV. Something. And I get to say that, kids, I have HPV. She's got something now. Um, (laughs) Always get tested, y'all. Always get tested. I'm pretty sure that everybody in the comedy community probably has, like, the same strain of HPV slash herpes at this point. Oh, probably. Yeah. Like, it truly is. I think it's, like, 90% of society has or will have HPV at least. Oh, yeah. And herpes Um, is, like, 85%. And all it takes is, like, you hook up with one bicycle. And now you have what everyone else has. Just one. Just one bicycle. That's all it takes. Um, that's why I'm all about those tests. <laughs> um, this has been an amazing episode. Um, what I always ask at the very end, though, is, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to? Um, I think we hit on everything. Um, I think my album, mm-hmm. like to just touch on the album, um, a bit off-white, it was really fun to record. And it's a culmination of like 10 years of, of comedy. It's my first comedy album. And, um... It was it was a blast. It was so much hard work. Like I was sick through like the last three months before recording it, and it was just stress because as soon as I recorded it, I felt better. <laughs> and, um, oh, yep. um, like the album writing process is like coming up with a way to to weave those jokes together into a quilt that actually makes them greater than than the sum of the parts is really such a challenge but I, I feel like I nailed it so I hope everyone who listens to it um, enjoys it and gets something out of it um, it's a lot of what you heard here 
but in stand-up comedy format and and um, really about just my journey as being like a misfit Latin kid and not fitting in and and finally finding that sense of of belonging and community that I think we we all ultimately long for. Yay, I can't wait to listen. It comes out, it's available streaming May 25th? May 26th. It's going to be out everywhere and you can pre-order it now. Yay, amazing. Guys, thank you again for listening. Please remember to go get Off-White, Cat Alvarado's um, album on May 26th. Go anywhere streaming. Go get it, download it, listen, love it, like it, subscribe. Go follow Cat at the Cat Alvarado, A-L-V-A-R-D-A-O, um, on Instagram, and then Cat Alvarado Comedy on TikTok, and then follow Awkward Sex in the City at Awkward Sex in the City on all the socials. And y'all, I will see you in two weeks.